0: Many years have passed since the Fellowship of Light battled the shadow creature at the Grey Havens. Now the heroes find themselves in an unknown land where they discover a man in black is wreaking havoc. Undeath follows him wherever he goes, and long-forgotten legends rise again, having been possessed by his evil. Join the players of this Dungeons & Dragons campaign as they attempt to stop the man in black as he collects artifacts both on and off the lonely island. Welcome to Toleracea in part two of the Inglodian
1: Bastards trilogy, Lies of the Mormon. Okay, so that's the ritual. Sort of, that's the background. Now, let's get to the actual sort of, and we can do rapid fire if you you want. Um, So this is, um, okay, so we already talked about Pterodon. We've already talked about the Arkenstone. This concept that I sort of invented, which I thought was actually very Tolkien-esque, um, but you can tell me otherwise, was this concept of Durin's March. Okay. Um, and so, so imagine Durin waking up in um, up near Gundabad, um, mm-hmm. and eventually sort of making his way down near um, Moria, the uh, Mirror, yep. um, yep. and having this vision of the crown. And then, of course, erecting the statue. Um, So, what Durin's March was was, of course, um, not the actual trip that he did, but the the path that I said followers of Durin would do as as a pilgrimage.
0: Yeah, that's that's what. It's certainly in keeping with the attitude that we see from Gimli when he's looking in the mirror. Mirror. I mean, I love, it's It's a It's a scene that you can easily kind of overlook in some ways, right? But like you've got to remember they're like actually being chased. Like the orcs haven't emerged yet, right? But I mean, they are in a chase situation where they have hordes of orcs behind them and the only way they can be sure that they will survive, well not even be sure, their best chance of survival is getting as far along the a head start as they can during the daylight when the orcs aren't going to come out right and and here's Gimli who's like okay time out I've got to go see Miramir right I'm just gonna, I'm, I, I've, I've got some sightseeing to do yep. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be right back right and I mean, and it's just that really kind of, it's its not that Gimli has like lost all sense of proportion, right? Or that Tolkien has lost track of it. It's like, it, you can really see this means so much to me. He says, I cannot pass Miramir without turning aside Like, that is not, like it's its like, it's impossible. Go on about me if you have to, but I cannot. So that attitude that he has the, the, um, is very much an attitude of like towards a, a sacred site. I mean, it is clearly a sacred site yes. uh, for Gimli. Even the, the way in which Durin's Stone is there as, you know, to commemorate the spot where Durin stood when he first looked into the Mirror Mirror, right? Um, again, of, it's, it's a very pilgrimage sort of uh, thing, right? And of course, uh, you know, your idea of the of the march is making me think of uh, there have to be other sites, right? Like right, on right. Durin's March, there's got to be like a well which was at the time yet untasted, right? <laughs> which like, here's a well which Durin tasted for the first time. Here's here's a dell <laughs> which used to be nameless, but That's which a- Durin named it's like the freedom trail (laughs) exactly exactly yeah Yeah. sorry it was like the the, you know gimli's poem is going through my head here um but i love that i mean i i I think you know it it certainly seems to be the kind of thing that the dwarves would have held in lore right and uh, and again certainly in keeping with gimli's attitude towards that um the kind of reverence that gimli shows really across the board for not only for you know the mirror mirror but moria itself and uh, and even the kind of the particular kind of enthusiasm he shows about the glittering Caves later on show, I think, the kind of attachment that dwarves have not just to these, but to places, right? Whereas, you don't see... Legolas isn't like this, right? I mean, he likes Athelian. He's really interested to see Fangorn, but he's not like... And he's heard stories of the Ents, right? He's heard stories of the Enodrim and their long sorrow. But he doesn't have the same fervor that Gimli does about visiting. I mean, he like He's interested in Treebeard, and he, he's really fascinated to see the Entwood, but it's not the same. It's not like, oh, I've always heard stories about Ents, and now I get to see Ents for real. Like I can't wait. I have hmm. to go. But that's exactly the way that Gimli is about Moria. Right?
1: I wonder if... I. Wonder I wonder if it's because of um, you know the the amount of sort of um, you know carving out of like Khazad-dun, you know, that the, the the place connection that the dwarves have, you know. Right.
0: Whereas elves are happy just like wandering <laughs> hither and yon over the face of the earth, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, okay so uh, we'll keep this um, maybe we'll do two more uh, well, yeah. three three more one this this next one is something that i I, I really enjoy um, and and it was um I, it was actually inspired by um, the adventures of middle earth from cubicle seven um, yes. there's a creature in there called the the creature in the well and from that like my i just oh, i just opened my eyes right and I did research about Ungoliant and where Ungoliant yeah. came from and and sort of I mean, where where she came from in the mountains, but then also yeah. sort of where she came from, um, and and I started thinking, you know, Angolian is from this place in in um, in Oman called Avathar, right? These mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. shadowy mountains. So I used that name as a as a race. So we started referring by the by the second part of the campaign and the third part of the campaign, we started referring to the Avathari because we have a character, I don't want to give too much away, but we have a character who is an avatari, who, oh. who ends up playing with us, right? Um, and so so the, the, this opens up all kinds of things. Like, maybe not, they're not all like Ungoliant, right? Right. So what, what do you think of that? Are there other other references? Well...
0: <laughs> so tell me more about the avathari character so these aren't like
1: monsters like goian are these these are what humanoids like what are they yeah they could so so um so the character that ended up playing with us the pc was had had like a like a like an elvish form right that he took sure. so he didn't scare everybody but there right. is a point which he sort of explodes into his Avathari form and, yeah. and scares the hell out of everybody yeah well, um, I would think so but but the, the whole idea is that right Right. These creatures sort of crept out of the darkness while the while the world was being made, sure. um, and and maybe they didn't all have hearts of darkness, right? Right. I mean, is that po- is that a, is that even possible? Well, sure. Yeah. I
0: mean, okay. So there's there's an indeterminate number of other spirits, right? We've got the Valar. We've got so you know you've got the Ainur, which is all of the spirits that were involved, right? You know, in the music and everything. But it's really clear that a bunch of them are very minor spirits, right? And especially in the Book of Lost Tales period, it's more clear than it is later on. You can still hear it. I think it's still how Tolkien thinks, but he doesn't talk about it as much or in the same way, um, where the Valar all have, like, their people, right? There's, like, a bunch of... So Manway has a bunch of, like, air spirits sure. who are his people, right? His mind. Olmo has mm-hmm. a bunch of water spirits yeah. who are who are his people. Yeah. And um, so there's clearly a large number of lesser spirits it's um, not all of whom are as, are necessarily like on par with say, you know, a who becomes Gandalf or the Balrogs or something like that. Right. Um, you know, there's like grades and levels and all of these things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, like Goldberry right. is also one of these folks, right? Um, somehow or other. So anyway, point is there's, these folks are all over the place. Would there, could there be some who are, oh my goodness, I feel, uh, I'm eh. all right. I will just use the word I'm uncomfortable using. Neutral. <laughs> And comfortable using that because that's not a Tolkien concept, right? I, 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 except unless, I mean, you could say Tom Bombadil was neutral, right? Uh, There's all thing. kinds of
1: theories about him, though, too, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But uh, but anyway, spirits who are, so imagine, I can imagine, right? There were a bunch of other spirits who were, maybe they were Angolian's people, maybe they weren't actually, like, affiliated with her in the way that, you know, Manway spirits are affiliated with him or whatever. Um, and they, you know, they can kind of make their own choice. We know the Maiar can make their own choice, right? Like, Saruman goes bad. Saruman goes bad, right? We know they can change their path, their own paths, have the opportunity to repent, right? You know, Saruman had a chance to repent, didn't take it. Um, uh, so... We know that the Maya are capable, therefore, of, like, moral movement in this way. So, Angolian had a bunch of Maya followers, right? But she was a loner. Right. And didn't like, you know, build a community of them right down there in Avatar. So the idea that there would be lesser spirits who are kind of like Ungoliant in a sense, sort of like spirits of Ungoliant, but who all had their have had their chance, you know, to make their own way. Could some of them have been. What, so what, what I meant when I said neutral was not servants of the Valar. Right. Right. Not servants of Morgoth and Sauron. Right. It's kind of floating around. There's plenty of examples of things like that.
1: Um, so that's, I, so that's interesting. it's interesting, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, it's interesting yeah. that you, you talk so heavily about the Ainur, because the, the, the way I had always seen Ungoliant was that she was kind of outside of that, um, somehow. Is that is that the wrong way to read that?
0: Well, I don't, so first of all, Ungoliant is, I mean, we know almost nothing about exactly who she was and where she came from, and, you know, Tolkien's ideas about her kind of changed a lot over time. Um Gloomweaver is her coolest name, though. I mean, Gloomweaver, that's awesome. But anyway, uh, so, um, based on the Aino Lindelay, right, the Aino Lindelay gives the impression that there's a Lúvatar, and he creates spirits, right, the Ainur, who are the offspring of his Mm thoughts. So, at that time, inasmuch as one can apply chronology to that, which... I don't think you can, because these are the timeless halls of Iluvatar that we're talking about. But the way the narrative chronology goes is you've got, in the beginning is Iluvatar by himself, right? Then he creates, and when he creates, he creates these spirits. So now there's Luvatar and there's the Ainur, right? Then the music of the Ainur happens, mm-hmm. and then Ea is created, right? Then he makes the world... And some of the Ainur, not all, go into it, right? And some of them don't go into it and continue just to hang out with the Luvatar and the Timeless Halls. Um, so anything that is like a spiritual being, right? uh you could argue must have been one of the einor who descended in okay. but at the same time i don't know i mean is it possible that there are some spirits at work in Middle Earth, resident in and at work in the world which are in some sense a product of the creation of arda mm-hmm. now like in creating arda he also in giving so like the, especially thinking back to what we were talking about think think of the parallel with um the dwarves right that we were talking about right Aule makes the dwarves, and Iluvatar breathes the breath of life into them, except that's a biblical phrase. That's not what we get, right? The fire, the placing of the fire is is the metaphor from the Silmarillion, mm-hmm. right? So he makes them live. He, he, he gives them souls, also not a big Silmarillion word. Um, but... That's also kind of the metaphor for Aeon as well, right? The world is shaped according to the song of the Ainur, but it's a Luvatar who puts at its heart the secret fire, right, which burns there—the mm-hmm. uh, flame imperishable. Um, so, in that sense, the flame imperishable is like the soul of the world, right, of creation—not just the globe, right, not just Arda, but the, 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 the you know, all of creation, all, all of material creation, right. Does that suggest, therefore, that in that action, that action of saying Ea and making the world, Iluvatar also kind of created other spiritual beings within it? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, that seems to me very possible, especially given that we see through even through the writing of the Lord of the Rings, the evidence of Tolkien thinking in very kind of animist terms about the world, right? That there are spirits living in things. Like Goldberry, the daughter of the river, right? Mm-hmm. Like the uh, like Tarothras, um, you know, the spirit of the mountain. Like, uh, and this gets cut out in the final version, but it's much clearer in the first draft. Those, like, uh, it's not just the rocks themselves that Legolas is hearing when he's passing through Holland, like, right, but the spirit of those places. And in the ver- in the first draft, when Tolkien first wrote that scene, he doesn't say this land is unknown to me. He says this uh, Legolas, that is, says the spirits of this land are unknown are of a kind unknown to me like these are like rock spirits and i know tree spirits because that's who i hang with right so i can't really talk to these guys that well so this idea that the land is is sort of has a soul of its own right has spirits that live within it on its own it's an idea that you can see again and again in Tolkien's writing. So that is as much as to say, if you wanted your Avathari not to be Ainur, right, not to be spirits who descended into Arda with the Valar, alongside the Valar, whatever, even Ungoliant herself, as being instead a manifestation of, yeah. like, A itself, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's, a, there's theological scope available for that <laughs> like, in Tolkien's world. That's great.
1: Well, uh, Corey, I I told you I was going to interview you for about fifteen minutes, and it's been over an hour, and so <laughs> no, that's uh, all
0: right.
1: so, so there's a bunch that's of right. there's a bunch that's of other things call. on the list, and I was maybe maybe we can do a part two at some point sure. to this. Um, sure, but the the one thing that I, I will sort of as a because I, I, I think we'll definitely agree with this. The one thing I want to touch on that's it's really sort of it has uh, it's part and parcel to Toleracea. Um, yeah. is the sleeper in the tower of pearl. Oh, the sleeper um, in
0: the tower of Pearl. I mean, just that
1: phrase uh, is, yeah. is incredible. Um, it's
0: incredible. And it's It's almost never anything but that phrase. I mean, Tolkien brings up that phrase several times. Never tells the story of the sleeper in the tower of Pearl. But it's like you don't even need to tell the story. You just, like, say the phrase, the sleeper in the tower of Pearl. Oh, so,
1: so do you have theories about who the sleeper is?
0: Well... No, not consistent theories. The closest, well, Tolkien didn't even suggest this. This is I think was Christopher's guess in his comments, is that there's one version of the story when maybe it's Idril, right. right? Which is kind of a fun idea, in a sense, I think. Uh, but I don't know, I mean, because we never really find out what happens to our and Idril. Like, they sail away, and we never know what happens. Um, but I, the thing about the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl You don't want the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl to sleep indefinitely, right? I mean, you've got, like, implicit, it seems, in the mythic concept of the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl is that there will come a day when the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl shall awake, right? When shall that
1: be, and what shall be the occasion of that awakening, and what shall happen when the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl awakes? Um, well, I answer that. I, I answer also, that in the podcast, so it's no problem. i got it taken care of.
0: <laughs> no, it's, I, 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 it's one of those things. It's, to me, it's one of the most classic examples. Of these kind of mythical ideas that float through Tolkien's early writing, and it's so rich with suggestiveness, but he never tells the story. Can I read like one sentence oh, of the please. first chapter of the Book of Lost Tales, which is just to me, um, especially if you go back, um, uh, if you go back to a time, try to imagine a time when you've never even read the Silmarillion at all. So, like the name Arrendo itself won't mean anything to you, right? Okay, okay, I lied, it's two sentences. They're introducing, Vire uh, is introducing, you know, folks in the house. Little Heart the Gong Warden is the one who's being, and I love Little Heart the Gong Warden, who's being introduced. And she says, he sailed in Wingalot with Airendel in that last voyage wherein they sought for Kor. It was the ringing of this gong on the shadowy seas that awoke the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl that stands far out to west in the twilight isles. Yeah. And almost everything in that sentence, we have no idea what she's talking about, right? Like, wait, who, what is Wingalot? Presumably a boat, but that's all we know, right? So who's Arendo What's his ship? Why is it his last voyage? We kind of, we know core, at least they've talked about it before, but we don't exactly yet know what it is. The shadowy scenes, why are they shadowy, right? Uh, 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 Where are the twilight isles, and why are they twilight, right? And And who's the sleeper in the Tower of Pearl? I mean, almost everything in that sentence is totally inexplicable,
1: right, and yet immensely suggestive. Just right. so rich, dripping with yeah. history and 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 Michael drought actually has a has a uh, a lecture that I saw on this where he he talked about how Tolkien would just throw out things like this, and yes. you, you knew that people in the world knew what was going on right but right. but right. the main character who knew the least maybe didn't right yes yes um, yeah so so it's interesting, so you talked about um, uh, Arendelle and uh, the sleeper in the tower of Pearl and Um, So all of these things are going to come into part two, um, including um, one of the other things that I thought was just so rich was the Caves of the Forgotten. At the, ah. at the very end. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot to sort of look forward to. The, um, I touch on the lore Male, which, uh-huh. which, is, uh-huh. which is really going to come into play mostly in Part 3, but um, there's just so many things to look forward to. The, the whole concept that I was going to talk about was, you know, the difference between Tyrion and core Tyrion, uh, yes. at least in my yes. story. Um, maybe, maybe I can ask you about this later at a different time yeah that would be great
0: there's so much more to talk about there
1: but yeah absolutely it'd be fun great well um, is there anything you want to leave us with Um, I I, I did have to I have to I have to bring this up I saw a picture on Twitter and I kind of want to know about this so I saw (laughs) I saw a picture of you at at MythMoot dressed up as Eminem Correct. You got to yeah. tell me about that before you we go. Were,
0: we have masquerade ball at Mifred every year, and I dress up as somebody—usually something from something I've been teaching about. Uh, so two years ago, I dressed up as Boethius uh, in chains and well, ropes. Uh, and last year, I dressed up as Jonathan Harker from Dracula. My wife came with me, and we were Jonathan and Mina Harker. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we we drew the you know the red half moon on her forehead and everything. The Keanu Reeves version. Uh, <laughs> Ha, <laughs> I, not quite the no. <laughs> Keanu Reeves version, but uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, so this year I dressed up as Eminem because I gave a talk on the prosody of Eminem at, at MythMood, and uh, and I was like Eminem, that's a brilliant costume because all I need is a black hoodie. Uh, but anyway, no, it was great. It you was pulled really it off,
1: fun. man. So, it looked really good.
0: <laughs> I have, uh, I've, I, I this has been like uh, actually my 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 recent uh, kind of scholarly passion. Actually, is rap music. Um, I have sort of discovered as some who loves poetry and who loves, in Tolkien's phrase, the music of words, that is not just like music containing words, or, 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 or sung music, but a kind of music that the that, that that the play of words itself has, the play of and the and the and the relishing of the sound of words. And I've always been mm, disappointed in twentieth-century poetry as a rule, especially poetry of the last seventy-five years or so. Um, but I've recently just, I mean, like. You know, I like have lived through the entire evolution of rap music and missed it, basically. I've never paid a single bit of attention to rap music. And just, you know, recently, I just kind of stumbled across Eminem. And I was like, holy cow, like what this person is doing with language, like what, what he's doing with the sound of words. Um, I mean, what what he's saying is pretty dreadful, but what he's doing with The Sound of Words is absolutely amazing, Um, so I I was going to get a talk on that, and I've been been doing a lot of, uh, I've been doing a longitudinal study of rap music, I'm up to 1990 now, but anyway, so from a poetic angle, I'm very, very interested in rap prosody and, and thinking about that, so... My Eminem costume was uh, uh, very, but uh, yeah, it was um, disconcerting. I gathered
1: for a lot of people. there. Oh, I thought it was. It was you, the picture is perfect. Uh, yeah. If you if you're up to 1990 rap music, then I, I definitely would recommend Tribe Called Quest. If you oh
0: Tribe Called <laughs> Quest, I just listened to their first album from 1990 the other day. It's incredible. They're fantastic. they they are, yeah. they are uh, Tribe Called Quest is now in my like top three non M M Tribe Called Quest, uh Rock Him and Big Daddy Kane are my three favorites uh, so far. That was but, yeah. that was
1: when I stopped listening to rap music <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> But uh, so uh, we had a. Uh, my wife and I have had a resurgence with hip hop. Although people would argue it's not really hip hop with uh, with Hamilton. Uh,
0: oh yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. And, and it's it's been one of the things that my uh, my my kid loves Hamilton. My wife loves Hamilton, and uh, it's it's been one of the things that's been really fun. It's studying the history of rap music is continuing to come across people, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm getting all the Hamilton references now that yeah. I never understood before. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, that was a Notorious B.I.G. reference. Okay, yeah, I get yeah. it. Now, right it's a little slow in the uptake right or, or like when I, when I you know when I was like anyway there have been a bunch of things that I've recognized and you know uh, people I'm like oh this person sounds kind of like Angel- Angelica Skyward no I mean except Angelica Skyward kind of sounds like JJ Fad, actually so okay yeah
1: that's- <laughs> awesome well the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before I let you go was um, and I promise I'll let you go was um, a Colbert reference recently uh, yes so yeah. uh, so I, he took one of your courses right or, or at least now, one he,
0: he's He's he's, he's uh, listening through Exploring the Lord of the Rings, uh, my Exploring the Lord of the Rings series. Um, I actually found out years ago that Tolkien, uh, he was listening to my Tolkien Professor podcast uh, for a long time ago, actually, about seven years ago. Um, and this came across came about in a really funny way. One of my students, one of my undergraduate students at Washington College, went to a taping of the, of the Colbert Show. And... You know, he used to come out and do Q&A with the crowd at the end of the shows, right? So this student of mine did her thesis on Tolkien with me. And so in the, way back in the first couple of years of my podcast, I did a couple sessions with students who did their like, thesis project to talk about their thesis projects about Tolkien. Um, so Allison was um, the name of one of, these, uh, one of these two women with whom I did these sessions early on. And so they're doing the Q&A with Colbert, right? And she raises her hand and he calls on her and she asks a Tolkien question. And he answers her Tolkien question. And then he pauses and says, Are you Allison? No way. because he recognized her voice oh my
1: god
0: you can only imagine like how she almost died on the spot that like colbert recognized her voice and knew her name that's
1: amazing Uh,
0: but yeah so he had just been listening to the episode like where i talked with her and uh so it was for him a bizarre coincidence that this person on the podcast he had just been listening to was there in his studio like the next week uh anyway so so yeah so that was the first time i found out that he was listening uh to my podcast but i hadn't known that that was still happening until that article in the the New York Times Magazine that interview that he did a you know a couple like a month ago, and uh, and when, when he mentioned that he, you know how that came to my attention, I was contacted by a fact checker. From the New York That's Times right. magazine, I saw that, yeah, yeah, because because Colbert said I'm about halfway through a ninety hour, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, uh, class on the Lord of the Rings, and so they contact me and they're like, "Is he exaggerating about the ninety hours?" And I'm like, "Oh no,
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> you have no, no idea. He's not
0: exaggerating at all. Like in fact, we we had just at that point recorded session like 104 or something like oh, that. My gosh. Uh, so I'm like, "Yep, no, not an exaggeration at all. I assure you." Well, that's great. Um,
1: well, see, Corey, you're reaching people. It's
0: it's always fun to see. And, you know, the, the, the most rewarding thing I find about podcasting is, and again, this kind of brings it all the way back full circle to the beginning and what motivated me at, at the start. You know, it is, I've never regretted it. It has been so rewarding. Um, like Tolkien, my scholarly output has been much less than it <laughs> might have been. I mean, I haven't written the scholarly books and articles that I might have done. Um, but the number of times I've had the opportunity to. To hear from people, you know, tell me about, you know, what Talking has meant in their life, and what the opportunity to like dig in and to discuss talking and participate in my online classes, or just you know listening to the podcast asynchronously, and the, you know the, the, the kinds of stories that I've heard about the way in which you know uh, you know this has been you know uh, you know created an opportunity to really make a difference in people's lives. I mean, like just last year, I met this guy who was like, you know, I had a serious illness and I was in like solitary confinement for three months, and you know, your podcast kept me sane throughout uh. this solitary that's confinement great. and I mean, its stuff like that that you just get to hearing when you're you know kind of in the business for a while and 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 interacting with a lot of people over a long period of time and it's it's uh it's so rewarding and again that that's that's exactly the kind of reward that I was looking for you know that I was seeking that I wasn't that I didn't feel like I was getting in my, in the, you know the, the purely professional scholarly mm-hmm. circumstances that I was in and I have been you know very very happy with the, with the results it's been it's been awesome
1: well I'm gonna continue to listen and I know everyone else will too. So, so thank you again and I'll, I will wish you good night. Thank you. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at long-winded. One, and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.